started. I'm going to jump right in this morning where we left off last time. If you recall, we have read through the conflict in Romans chapter 7, verses 14, and the beginning of verse 14 through the end of the chapter in verse 25. Welcome back. Okay, so here's where we left it, the conflict. The law of God is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Remember we talked about the alien that took over us. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Could he make that any stronger? <laughs> Got a law of our, of our members, making it, taking us captive to the law of sin that dwells in our members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And as we left it, we said, is this the end? And of course, we all know that it's not. Something important happened. But what happened next could be understood according to two, at least two different ways of thinking. And I want to take a couple minutes here to consider two different models for the way we think of sin and redemption. And I think this is critical, both for those who are new Christians for, and for those of us who've been Christians for a long time. The first model looks something like this. You know, you're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. If you're in Christ, you're saved. If you're outside of Christ, you're lost. If you're in Christ and you sin, then you're outside of Christ and you're lost. So you need to recognize your sin. You need to confess your sin. You need to repent of your sin and pray for forgiveness. And then you're in Christ again and you're safe. Now, you see anything wrong with that? You'd have to keep doing it all the time. You would. And you know there are people who are doing that. They set up a line between being in Christ and being outside of Christ. And I believe there's, there's a line there, isn't there? In Christ and outside of Christ. But every time they sin, they think they stepped over that line. They're outside of Christ. Really? Is that what the scriptures say? And then every time they find um, peace with God again, they step back over the line. And so their life is like a revolving door. They're in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
But what if you die when you're in that the condition of having sinned and haven't thought of it yet or haven't repented yet and haven't gone through all those steps that you're supposed to go through? What about the sins that I just don't even know about? What about the sins that I forgot about? What about those little evil thoughts that I have during the day? Do those count? What about these imperfections in my attitude? Do those count? What about the things that I am supposed to do that I didn't do? Do those count? Is this not terrifying? That's why a lot of people don't believe they're good enough to be Christians. You know, when you try to teach them, they just don't, uh, they don't think they can make the grade. And that's why a lot of Christians think they're not good enough to go to heaven. Yeah. They don't think they make the grade. This is terrifying. If this is the model that you have in your mind for what salvation looks like, you are probably terrified of death. Because you don't know whether you're in or out most of the time. And so, what are we going to do? Pray every minute, every 30 seconds for forgiveness. Are we repenting constantly throughout it? We have time to think about it? This is, it, it really is absurd when you put it this way, isn't it? When you think about it this deeply, it really is absurd. And yet, this is the model a lot of people live off of their entire life. And it's no wonder they're terrified. Is my salvation totally a function of chance? Did I just happen to die at the wrong time? Does God write me out of his will every time I sin? Is my relationship with him that tenuous? Am I hanging over the hell's, hell's fire by a brittle thread, knowing that it could snap at any moment? Do I go in and out of my relationship with God several times a day or hour? Let's think about a different model. Yes, there are people who are in Christ and there are those who are outside of Christ. If you're in Christ, you're saved. If you're outside of Christ, you're not. That much is true. But 1 John chapter 1 talks about walking in the light. And he's not talking about perfection. This is a... It's a difficult passage because it does talk about being in the light as he is in the light. And so you could think, well, I have to be perfect just like God is perfect in order to be acceptable to God. That could, that could be your conclusion from that. But if you keep on reading down that passage down, down to about verse 8, you'll find out that the story changes somewhat when he says, but if you say you don't have any sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Now, wait a minute. We're walking in the light, and yet we have sin? I thought you had to be completely rid of all sin in order to be in the light. No, not true. Not true. You can have a relationship with Christ as you carry your sin. Those of you who are parents, do you write your kid out of your will every time he displeases you? Every time he does something you tell him not to do? 
Every time your, your child angers you, you say, get out of my house. You don't belong in here anymore. You're not my kid. Well, I'm sorry. Okay, come back in. <laughs> really? I mean, that's not the relationship between a father and a child, is it? No. The relationships between fathers and children are lifelong. And there may be a case where you'll write somebody out of your will. But I'll tell you, it'll be pretty drastic when that happens. And it'll be the result of many years of struggling and, and fighting with that child before you do so. No, we love our kids. We want them to be in our family. We extend them every grace possible to keep them there and to keep them close in relationship with us. And that's the way God is. He's our parent. He taught us about fatherhood. We are, as the scripture says, under grace. We are, as the scripture says, at peace with God. What kind of peace is there in that other model? There's none. <laughs> We're at peace with God. We are justified by faith, Romans chapter 4, and many others. We are guarded by God's power until we receive our inheritance. We are a child of God. That's a different kind of relationship against whom the Lord will not count sin, Romans chapter 5. So salvation really is by grace through faith and not <coughs> ourselves. Salvation, it means that we are children of God and he does not give us up precipitously. Now that's different from eternal security, isn't it? And I want you to notice that there is a difference. But our relationship with God is stable and doesn't depend on our perfection. Now, let's continue with the resolution as it appears in Romans chapter 7 on into, and on into chapter 8 and see if you don't see it. Exactly what we're talking about. Our relationship with God continuous even at times when he has to put up with us. So this is the resolution that he just got done saying in verse 24 as we read, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice the resolution doesn't lie with you. He didn't say, thank God I can, I can get everything right because he told me all the right things to do. I know exactly what to do, and if I do all those things, I'll have it all right, and I'll be in, in the right relationship with God. Your name doesn't come up here. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the resolution to the problem of persistent sin. That's the re resolution to the law of sin in my members. So then, he says, he turns right around after saying, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then... I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul still hasn't lost all that sinfulness in him. He's still a human being. He still has these sins that he carried. He just got done saying, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord, but I'm still fighting this battle. I'm still fighting it. God doesn't wait until we dot every I and cross every T to forgive us. If he did, we'd all be lost, every one of us. We would be, be without hope. We would have no peace with God. 
and we would be written out of his will every time we did any, any small infraction of what we did or what we didn't do or what we thought. He forgives us even in the midst of the struggle. That's what Romans 7 and 8 teaches. He forgives us even in the midst of the struggle. If you don't believe it, keep reading in chapter 8. I said this is the, like the worst place to, to break uh, two chapters. I generally like the, the way chapters in the Bible are broken. They weren't broken by the apostles, by the way. They were broken many centuries later uh, by humans. So what does Paul actually teach? Look at Romans. We're going to read continually now from verse 24, and we're going to pretend that break isn't there at chapter 8, and we're just going to read through. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's all one, one paragraph. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Not because of what I do. If it's left up to me, I mess it up pretty bad, Paul says. But because of what Jesus did, there is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what characterizes these people who are in Christ Jesus? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free, free in Christ, Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. You've been made free. Do you feel free? Or are you all bound up? by your own imperfection. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. You know what law does? According to Romans, it convicts, it kills. It's unable, a law is unable to justify anybody. All it can do is show you what you've done wrong. When there's a law, you break the law, you've done wrong according to the law, you've sinned according to definition. It's missing the mark breaking the law. When you've broken the law, you're dead, right? That's what the law does. But now we're free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, for those transgressions, Condemned sin, not condemned me, condemned sin in his flesh. He, by living that perfect life and by sacrificing himself, condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, get it, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now this class is about the flesh and the Spirit. How pivotal is it to us that we're not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? If you're not walking according to the Spirit, then all of the guiltiness of the law falls upon you. But if you're walking according to the Spirit, then Christ has a relationship with you and will keep you close even in the midst of the struggle.
He goes on to say, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. What do you think about when you wake up in the morning? What do you think about during your day? Is God with you or is, are you leaving him behind when you get up and get out of bed every morning and just remember him again when you lay down and you say your prayer at night? Do you think about God just at spotty times throughout the day or is your mind fixed on the things of the Spirit? Are you living according to the Spirit? Now, we've already said that nobody did that like Jesus. Nobody has ever done that like Jesus did. God is, again, he's not requiring perfection out of us. 1 John chapter 1 teaches that. He teaches us that we need to be walking in the light. But if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. We will have sin. But if we're walking according to the Spirit, we'll set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Those who walk in, are walking according to the flesh will set their minds on the things of the flesh. So where your mind is, is very important. <laughs> What you're focusing on is important. Are you just focused on the flesh? Or are you focused on your spirit? We're creating in this class spiritual people. Not everybody, you don't have to be an extrovert and tell everybody all about your spirituality to be spiritual. Can you do your job and be spiritually minded at it? Or is spiritual mindedness something you do separate and apart from your physical labor? <clears throat> In other words, do you have to go to your closet and do you have to meditate on spiritual things in order to be a spiritual person? Well, I hope not. The spirit should permeate our lives, <coughs> all of it. And that doesn't mean you uh, if you're an extrovert, maybe you do go, about, go around talking about it all the time. And if you're an introvert, you probably don't. Doesn't mean it's not true. Back up. What do you guys want to talk about? What's coming to your mind? Well, if you really love Jesus, you should be willing to talk about him wherever you're at, regardless. Unless we're ashamed and all that. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't do that. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we are. And that's, that's shameful on us, isn't it? There is an interesting thing that I think we need to address and I totally agree with the models you said like we don't need to feel like we're constantly out of Christ but there is like an objective truth and a subjective experience right and so there's sometimes where we feel like we're not very much in Christ we know and you're talking about maybe, maybe we don't walk in the spirit that much I think second Peter kind of talks about it where he talks about being partakers of the divine nature by the true knowledge of Jesus Christ and he goes through what's the true knowledge of Jesus Christ it's all these traits, it's all these things we can be diligent to be a part of. But at the end of it, he says, if you lack these qualities, you're blind, you're short-sighted, hadn't forgotten your purification from sins. So in verse 10, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And I've, I've wrestled with this verse, because like, how can you abundantly be supplied to you if, it's, if you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out, you know? 
But I wonder if he's almost talking about a subjective experience. You know, like, you feel this way, but it's because you're not, you don't really know Jesus. You don't really know him in the experience of knowing him, where you're living like him, where you're virtuous and faithful and knowledgeable and self-controlled and loving and kind. And that's like the fruit of the Spirit. It's like walking in the Spirit. And so part of this, like, I think when we feel this tension where we're tempted to feel like, well, I'm out of Christ now. Like, no, you're not out of Christ. But maybe you just don't know him very well. Yeah. And if you don't know him very well, maybe that should drive you to make more time, to be diligent, to put more effort into that relationship. Because I feel like it's like marriage, you know? Like, there are moments in our marriage where we're both working a lot. We're spending a lot of time away from each other. And it's like, man, I feel far from my wife right now. Well, maybe I should cut time out. Maybe I should make an effort. Maybe I should take a half day today if I can. Maybe I should, even if it hurts me, I should do those things. Because that's important. But we're not divorced now, you know? But the, I feel like that's how our relationship with Christ needs to be. That's how we need to use positively that subjective experience to instead of making us feel like, oh, I'm a sinner, to then say, well, no, I seem to get closer to him. So. Um, what you have said is complicated in a number of ways, um, and I don't mean to complicate it, uh, but notice that I love the, the verses that you read because what he's talking about in those verses is really kind of a character development and a spiritual de development in the spiritual disciplines, right? Um, and so he says, if you focus on these things, and that's really no different than saying if you're walking according to the spirit and not according to the flesh, is it? You're focused on spiritual things and the entrance will be provided to you abundantly. The way I see that is the door to the kingdom is thrown wide open to you. I mean, he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm not just going to let you squeak in. The door is open wide to you. You're going to have an abundant entrance. entrance. Um, but the reason in, in my mind that complicates that is because I've had a lot of people, a lot of people come to me over the years uh, when I'm teaching and say, Darrell, I just don't feel very close to God. And it's, it's, it's obvious that they're worried about that. And so the first thing I say to people who come to me worried about not being close to God is, as I say, I know that you're closer to God than you think you are, that your faith is stronger than you think it is. And the reason I know that is because you come to me and you're worried about it. If you are one of these other people that just blew past me, that, that's not even concerned about it, then I would be more concerned about you. So, what do you do, or what do you say to someone to help them to be closer to God in a at a time like that? You say, well, you are concerned about it, so this is a, an excellent time to focus on the things that are going to make you stronger. Focus on things that will bring you closer to God. And those are always the same things, and people say, well, I don't pray as much as I ought to because I'm not spiritually minded enough. And I say, no, it works the other way. Pray to God. Stay in community with God. Read the Bible because those are the things that are going to make you feel closer to Him. That's it. Those are the things that are going to draw you closer to Him. <coughs> the Lord said, draw close to the Lord. James said, draw close to the Lord and He'll draw close to you. Um, so take the time to do the things that you know you need to do in order to draw closer to God. And that will naturally happen. And then you'll feel better about your relationship with God. You don't wait until you're spiritually strong to read the Bible. You don't wait till you're spiritually strong to pray. You, you pray at the time when you're in spiritual poverty, knowing that God will enrich you 
through those spiritual disciplines. So, good comment, excellent verse to think about, Gloria. Well, also, I think also that what Ben is talking about, just in, in a simple way, is that this is a transforming, a transformational, sanctifying process that happens within us because God's Spirit is dwelling in us. It's something that takes place over time because we allow it. It's not something we do ourselves. We're not commanded to transform ourselves. We're told to be transformed, and we're transformed through the Holy Spirit. We're sanctified by Him, but it's a process. Yeah, it is a process. Sanctification, the word is used in two senses in the New Testament. One sense is that we're sanctified when we become Christians, right? Uh, when we are baptized, when the Holy Spirit comes to set up residence within us, we become part of the family of God, we're sanctified to God, we're set apart to Him. The Spirit is instrumental in that, isn't He? Because if you're endowed with the Spirit, wouldn't that sanctify you? Or wouldn't that be at least a sign of sanctification so there's that side of sanctification but sanctification is also <clears throat> talked about in the new testament as a as a process as gloria says so it's not like sanctified and done it's sanctified so that you can be sanctified it's so that over time you can develop the kind of spiritual maturity and closeness to god <coughs> that sanctifies you in a way that's even richer than was possible at the time that you became a christian Good comments. Anybody else? Yeah, Kyle? I think there's one word in there that is very um, telling. Uh, talking, Paul talking about this helpless state that we find ourselves only rescued by Jesus. It says that the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us. Once again, reinforcing this yes. idea that we really are on our own, if not for Jesus coming and rescuing us. And how is it fulfilled in us? By walking according to the Spirit. And by doing that, that is how it's rescued. It's nothing that we can obtain on our own. It's in us, but not by us. Okay, I think that's a really acute and very good observation. That he's not putting it all back on us again. This transfer transformation, as Gloria said, that takes place is something that we allow to happen and something we encourage to happen by things that we do, but it's fundamentally something that takes place because the Spirit of God is in us. And that's why Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is in you, then fruit will be produced. It's a, it, it, and it happens in that order. It's the Spirit allowing us to be sanctified and growing this fruit as the result of His presence. It is the fruit not of the person, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Great. Anybody else? David. Um, last few years, uh, this verse, for some reason, has stood out in my mind. Um, in Mark 9, 23, I'll start in 23. Uh, Jesus, Jesus said to him, a man whose daughter is sick, I think, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's, that phrase there has really been something I've thought about. You know, We think it's one way or the other. Like You either <laughs> have this total unshakable faith or you're completely an unbeliever. You know, 
but he's saying I don't know it's just demonstrating to me what we're talking about here that there is a struggle that there is a conflict that there is a, um, challenges that we face I guess and one of the ways that we can grow faith in ourselves is to ask for it ask God to give us greater faith um, there are other things that we can do to bolster our faith as well but that's got to be one of the pivotal one of the key ways of, of gaining more faith God, uh, James tells us to pray for certain things that God knows when we pray for good things we know that when we pray to God for good things to get things that God wants us to have he's going to give them to us well what doesn't faith fit right in there with that doesn't maturity fit in with that doesn't sanctification fit in with that doesn't humility fit in with that Things that we know God wants for us, we should be asking for them, and we should be going about whatever we doing whatever we can to grow closer to God, so the Spirit can grow those in us. What else? Yes, Isaac. I've heard this kind of inadvertently refuted by people in my past, uh, specifically when they're talking about certain like denominations and oh, these people believe that all you need to do is believe and. But the problem, and, and I'll say the problem is that it allows you to just do whatever you want. And, and they kind of use that as, as a, a, to disprove that belief is all you need. But to me what this passage is, say, it's almost as if God is saying, don't worry about that. I will purify you and then act on your gratitude. You, you talked about how freeing this is, how, you know, those of us who have lived in that first model, coming, you know, coming to the belief of, of what you're talking about, it's, number one, it makes you want to tell people about it, but it makes you want to live the way God wants you to, just, if nothing else, out of gratitude. I want to, I want to thank him because he has not only saved me from hell, but saved me from the exhausting attempts to live up to his perfection. And so to me, this is, this is almost God saying, let me take care of that. And in this passage, that's right in front of us, what is, what's our part in this? What part do you see that we play in it? You have to live. There, there's purpose behind it. Who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That, that's a, an important role that we pray in, play in that, is we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And everything else in this passage, all the way back from chapter 7, verse 25, is all what Jesus does. We're going to be spending a lot of time in Romans chapter 8, so when we leave it at the end of this class, don't be panicked that we've forgotten a lot. There, we're going to spend a lot of time there, and if you notice on the schedule, we have entire classes that are dedicated to Romans chapter 8, because really, the rest of the chapter is a catalog of things that the Spirit, benefits that the Spirit of God brings to us. When we just simply mind the things of the Spirit, mind the things of the Spirit, these are the benefits that inure to us when we do that. And the list is long. The rest of the chapter is a list. That list is long. And we often wonder, well, if the Holy Spirit's not producing miracles in us, then what, is the Holy, what could the Holy Spirit possibly be doing? 
Well, read Romans chapter 8, and I assure you, you'll find plenty that the Spirit does for us, to us, and with us, with our, in communion with us, in some cases. Uh, there's involvement from us, and there's involvement from the Spirit, and our Spirit matches up with God's Spirit to accomplish certain things. If you want a good teaser for those classes, you can go ahead and read that, read through that as you, when you go home today. What else have we got? Oh, Carly, you had a comment a minute ago, please. Well, I just keep going back to that, what you were saying about um, as a parent, when Gloria was talking about it being a process, you know, we have children as newborns. We don't have them as adults that should already be doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and we, you know, we are spiritually newborns. Um, no matter where, how you grew up or how you... Um, entered the body of Christ um, you're a newborn in God's eyes and so think about I think about the patience that I may have with my four year old as opposed to the patience that I might have with an 18 year old that I'm in charge of well God knows where we started from how far we've come and where we are in that process and it is a process that he gives us so much grace for and like Isaac said, it is so freeing for it to not be on me mm -hmm. and to know that I can work through that process and be okay in the meantime because he knows that. He knows where I'm at. Great. What else we got? Girl. Yes, sir. <clears throat> I think one of the biggest things as we grow in our Christianity is that we seek out other Christians for friends, not the other way around. Because other Christians will make you stronger. Uh, it's just just a way that, that can lead you in the path of not doing what God wants you to do because he, he's directly pulling you away from the things that you ought to be doing. And the word Christian is can be taken broadly um, I think what we ought to be doing is seeking out I mean, other people. In Christ. Yes, other people who are minded about the things of the Spirit. Right. Now, this also is something that has to be held in balance because if we just surround ourselves with other Christians and never get out there any, we don't have any influence on the rest of the world, right? And right. that's a major part of our mission. But if we want to be strong, we're going to be spending at least some of our time with people who are strong and people who can make us strong. Um, sometimes we'll spend our time with people that we can uh, impart some strength to. And you may be surprised that that person you think you can impart some strength to maybe has something to offer you that you didn't know that they had. So there is this sort of sharing and that's why community among brethren is so important. Um, there are people who want to be a Christian out here by themselves. It was never designed that way. Uh, Christians are, are uh, they're sticky. Christians are sticky. They like to adhere to other Christians. Um, I heard, have heard John use the analogy, and maybe you've heard this as well, that if you have a, a, a fire, a campfire, and there's a piece of coal or piece of wood that gets separated from the rest of the fire, pretty soon the energy that that piece of wood has will begin to grow cold and it'll begin to die out. 
then if you take it and you move it in there with the rest of the fire, there's a shared energy that will have that piece of wood ignited again in no time, and it'll be burning bright. Christians are like that. They draw influence. It's infectious. We, we get infected by other Christians with faithfulness and with, uh, with spiritual strength. And that's why we need to spend time hanging around people who can make us strong. And then we need to take it out there to others, both other Christians that can use our help and to, to people who are not Christians so that they can see that vibrance, they can see that burning flame in us. And I could, do, I could be doing more of that. I don't know about you all. What else? Somebody else have a comment on reserve? Yeah. Jean. I think there's kind of an unintended that we looked at. Um, the first model, something that maybe we don't think about, is when we are living by that first model, there's very little, if any, appeal to an outsider mm -hmm. because they can see that frantic energy in us and that lack of peace, and nobody wants that. I don't want that, even when I was living in it, I didn't yeah, want it. Right. Um, and so, sometimes I think that, that undue focus on the end of things, like am I going to heaven or am I going to hell, and it's up to me to figure that out, it actually impedes our sanctification because then I'm focusing on dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's instead of knowing I am safe because I am walking in the spirit and then letting that sanctification take place and that's when others can see that and then they want what you have think about the fruit fruit of the spirit love joy peace being among them and then these other things that we are to other people um, you know that first model that i showed you some people call that the gospel but it's not good news <laughs> It really is not. And if you share that with other people, they're not going to be attracted to it. The other model is good news, and people will be attracted to it. And you don't have to go out there and present yourself as something you're not. You don't have to go out there and say, well, I'm supposed to be perfect. And so I kind of am. And so anybody who wants to be a Christian, you need to be like I am, sort of, because I know I'm not. You know, the whole, and so I'm sweating in my palms at the same time I'm saying all no, what you're saying to people instead is, I'm imperfect, God has accepted me in my imperfection, I'm trying to be better, and because God is gracious with me, he'll be gracious to you too. That's the kind of God he is. That is good news. And people will be attracted to that. If you say, I'm it, you know what they're gonna be doing? They're gonna be watching you, and they're gonna find some things and they're going to say, so that's it? I don't want to be that. No. But if we have gratitude, and if we have joy, and if we have peace, that's infectious. That's the kind of thing that people will respond to. How are we doing for time here? I have one more verse here. So then, the prophecy is all the more true. This is from Jeremiah and repeated in the book of Hebrews. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the greatest unto the least, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. You know, the difference between iniquity and sin? 
Iniquity is kind of the evil intent behind the sin. I will forgive the evil thoughts of their heart. I will forgive the imperfections in their character. I'll forgive the imperfections in their attitudes. And their sin will I remember no more. Thank you. The problem is we don't forgive ourselves. That's right. And it's hard to be forgiving to others and gracious to others if we don't know how to forgive ourselves.